This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell, and I shall dwell, and I shall dwell, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Pray with me. Jesus, as we circle around this psalm, this poem, for one last uh, time together in this series, I would pray that the things that we learned about your nature, about your character, about who you are, and the way that that connects with the longing of our soul, that those might be seared deeply into our identity, who we are, Lord, and who we know and trust you to be as well. And so as we, as we dive in one more time here, uh, would you teach us, Holy Spirit? Would you put your finger on some things in our life that you long to mess with, and we invite you to do that today. And ultimately, as we look to the scriptures, would you point us to the word, the living word, Jesus the Messiah, the good shepherd. In his name we pray, amen, amen. In the beginning, God created that's the framework for the whole sort of meta-narrative we find in the scripture, for the, for the Hebrew mind, for the people that um, first sunk anchor into these ancient texts and found their story in this story. That's the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth, it says, in this, in this beginning of Genesis, this Genesis chapter one, the earth was without form and void. Um, literally in the Hebrew, it would have read um, empty. It was empty. And then if you know the first two chapters of, of Genesis, and, and you may or may not, but in the first two chapters, chapters of Genesis, we have the author of Genesis who, in a very poetic way, uh, invites us to consider the way that the earth goes from empty to full. And at the heart of that, it's God created he creates birds, he creates mountains, he creates trees, he creates oceans and the things that live in them. He creates it all. And then in Genesis, the end of Genesis chapter one, beginning of Genesis chapter two, we have this declaration that the crowning achievement of God's creation, his filling of his earth is that he creates you and me. People, humanity, but before he gets there, there's this really interesting phrase that the author of Genesis points out. It says, the earth was without form of void. It was, it was empty and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the, read it with me, spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Really interesting. So you have this picture and um, pray for me. So you have this picture in Genesis chapter one that... 
this earth is without filling. It doesn't have anything in it, but, but it has one thing in it before it has anything else, and that is the spirit of this good creator God. First thing present. Before anything else is created, the spirit of God is there. Um, maybe better said, is here. Is here. Now, in all that God creates, it never nullifies this reality. And I want to invite you over the course of the next few minutes to reconsider the world that you live in. Um, Jacob had this, one of the patriarchs had this experience in Genesis chapter 28. He was a, a shady character, Jacob was. And as I read through scripture, I love reading about people who have these sort of checkered past because my, my thought is if you're editing the scripture to be something you wish it were, you would not include these stories, right? So one of the heroes of the faith early on is a shady guy. His name's Jacob. The name literally means swindler or trickster, and he lived up to his name. He's on the run from his brother. He has this dream. And in this dream, when he's laying his head on the rock, so maybe he ate bad pizza. Maybe it was the rock was cutting off blood circulation to his brain. Not sure. But he has this dream. And in it, angels are ascending and descending along this ladder. And Jacob wakes up. And here is his explanation and exclamation about the world he lives in. He says, Jacob awoke from his sleep, the author of Genesis does, and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Have you ever been there where all of a sudden, and it may be an event or an experience that happens or just that still small prompting from the spirit of God that lives in you, if you're a follower of Christ, where, where your eyes are just opened and you go, wow, God, you, you, you dwell here. This is, this is your space, and you're at home here. And, and I, I didn't see it before, but, but I do now. I do now. Fast forward a, a few centuries, and you have the prophet Isaiah recounting the throne room of heaven, a scene from the throne room of heaven, and here's what he says. Here's the echo back and forth in heaven it says, and one called out to the other and said, so this is angels around the throne of God, and their declaration is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Some translations will say the Lord God Almighty. Now this holy, holy, holy is like exponential holiness that follows holiness. It's holy, holy, holy moly, right? And here, listen to what they say. It's really interesting. The whole earth is full of his glory. What a claim. What a claim. So, so it's not just that the earth has some of the glory of God that hovers over it. Oh, no, 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 no. It's better than that. It's the whole earth is full of his glory. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says. The prophet Isaiah is declaring that what heaven says is you cannot go or find one square inch across this beautiful planet that God's glory is not present in. And you go, well, well what about 
unreached people groups. Well, well, here's the thing. Uh, reaching unreached people groups is not about bringing the glory of God. It's about pointing out the glory of God that's already present. And every square inch of his globe, in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, you can rest assured because Isaiah says it, and it's heaven's echo, the glory of God dwells there. Interestingly enough, fast forward another few hundred years, and the apostle Paul finds himself preaching at what we'll call the what they call the Areopagus, this um, this sort of hilltop where they exchanged ideas in Athens. And listen to what Paul says in this brilliant evangelistic moment. Paul pulls from some of the poets of the day and says, even though they're they're pagan poets, they they nailed it here. They said the poet said. In him, this is in God, we live and move and we have our being. So, so maybe it looks a little bit more like this. Um, you could call him Adam. Ooh, his gravity is falling off here. Let's adjust. But um, here's Adam. He, he was designed and lived in, and, and so do you. You may not be the green lantern, or you might. Oh, no, gravity down, gravity down. Okay, um, or uh, maybe that's not you. Maybe you look a little bit more like this. Did I raid my kid's toy closet? Yeah, I did, so sue me. All right, so here's what Paul says. In him, you live and you move and you have your being. The world that you live in, that you walk in, that you call home is permeated, flooded, pregnant with the glory of God. It's really interesting. Um, I was uh, living with um, 11 of my best friends when I was in college. And one of the things that we... (laughs) Grew, grew to love to do to one another is to, was to scare each other. So if you've lived with, if you're a man and you've lived with other guys, my guess is this experience is not unique, okay? No, it was just, we just loved it. And as we lived for three years together, um, the longer we were willing to stay in very obscure places to scare one another grew, right? And I can remember getting married and the first time I hid in a closet and jumped out to scare my wife, Kelly, it did not, it was not well with my soul that day. I'll tell you, tell you, I learned really quickly there's some things you can do with your roommates that you cannot do with your spouse. So I jumped out and she starts crying. I'm not one of your roommates, I'm your wife. I'm like, okay, we didn't talk about that in premarital, right? Like, that's for free if you're engaged. I'll just tell you that, okay? But every time I walked into the house, uh, that I lived in in college, I opened the door and it, I was immediately on edge. Like, didn't matter what time of day it was. It did not matter. I had a friend that stayed in the shower for three hours to scare my friend who he knew was going to work early, didn't quite know when, but when he stepped into that shower at 3 a.m., he grabbed his leg, woke the whole house up. So, I mean, you open the door and it's like, I know you're in here. I don't know where, but I know you're here. I started to wonder what might it look like for followers of Jesus to maybe be reawakened to this ever-present reality 
that the space that we inhabit, God inhabited and inhabits first. And his glory, according to Isaiah, covers the entire thing. There is no place where its language is not heard. What if God is far more present when we, than we think? What might it look like to embrace this, this reality? What, what might it look like to reawaken our souls to say, God, you're, you're present and you're at work? I think maybe it looks like what David writes in Psalm 23, verse 6, as he ends this epic poem that puts on display the character of God by saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, David, obviously, he, he didn't go to premarital counseling either because if he did, he would have learned you shouldn't, you shouldn't use absolute like, absolutes like this. I mean, he says, surely, as if to say, there is not a category I have in my mind for this not happening all of the days of my life. There has never been a day where your goodness and mercy didn't follow me. Forever. Surely, all, forever, as if to grab us by the shoulders and shake us and say, wake up. The world you live in is God-bathed, according to Dallas Willard. God-permeated. His goodness and his mercy following you every single day of your life. This is the world that you live in. Um, C.S. Lewis and a friend of mine posted this on Twitter this week. Well, actually, we'll get there in a second. But, but here's, here's where I want to land before we get there. Here's where I want to land. I am convinced that if God were to reawaken an awareness of his glory in our souls, that it would breathe hope into our lives. So we'll say it like this this morning, an awareness of God's glory breathes hope into humanity. Can you hear it in David's words? Surely, goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life and for every single one of them from here and now until eternity, I will dwell in his house forever. If we're losing hope, I firmly believe we're losing sight. We're losing sight of the reality in which we live, that this world is God-bathed, God-permeated. It is our Father's world. The heavens declare the glory, the skies do, creation does, everything around us points to this is his world. But sometimes we lose sight of it, don't we? I don't know if it, this is just me, but sometimes I lose sight of the fact that the world that we, I, you, we all live in is God-bathed and God-permeated. Here's the way that C.S. Lewis puts it. He says this, we may ignore but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. Well, do, you, do you believe that? Do you believe that he's here? This is his world, that he is present within it. And today, I simply want to maybe 
read the, I want to read the scriptures and I want to propose to you, this is the world that we live in and in doing so, my hope is that God would reawaken something within our souls. That he would tear some blinders off of our eyes. That we might walk out these doors or maybe just look around in this room and see something very different than we saw when we walked in. I read a story this week about um, a monk who went away and spent time in solitude for an entire month. And when he came back and he joined back with um, his people, his cloister, he, they said to him, well, you don't look a lot different. And he responded back to them, no, but you do. And I just I wonder if we're able to see it, what we might be launched into the world to become and to do in response. Well, well, let's unpack a little bit. Psalm 23, verse 6. And listen to David's announcement, proclamation about the presence of this benevolent, beautiful God. Here's what he says. Surely, as if to say, there's never been a day where this didn't happen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. Now, I love that he says, goodness and mercy follow me, because you and I would both agree that there's times, there's days, there's seasons of life where we look really hard and we can't find God. Life is painful. Life is difficult. There's suffering. I'm not ignoring that. And we look really hard, we can't find it. But, but then we re, we're removed from that season and we can look back and go, God, I didn't see you then, but I see you now. I love that David says, goodness and mercy follow him because here's what he's declaring. Sometimes to see it, you need to look in the rear view mirror. And those experiences that we have, we start to see a little bit differently. God, you were present. God, you were at work. And here's his declaration, is that God's presence, and I'm just gonna own it, God's presence shapes my, our, hopefully your, experience daily. Experience daily. Okay, so number of questions popping up in your head, that's my guess. If the world is God's and God is good and God's glory covers every square inch of his globe, well then, why did this happen? Why does that happen? Why does it look like things seem to be going on a downhill spiral? If this is his world, why does the world look the way it does? I'll, I'll one-up you. Well, let's ask the same thing about David's life. Did goodness and mercy follow him all of the days of his life? I mean, we've talked a little bit about his biography, but just, I'll just throw a few things out there. One, um, David's a part of um, adultery and then um, on top of that, murder. Goodness and mercy following him. In David's own family, he has a son who completely turns his back on him, tries to kill him and take his throne. Goodness and mercy then? In his own family lineage, incest and murder. Goodness and mercy then? 
I mean, David's life is absolutely littered with evil and pain and hurt. How do we marry that with this picture? God, this is your world. We believe that. We just sang it. And God, you're present in it. Your glory covers the whole thing. Well, then why does the world look the way that it does? Now, here's the picture in Genesis 1 and 2. I just want to say, the gospel, I was reminded by one of our elders just last week, that our, the gospel starts in Genesis 1. If we start anywhere else other than this, we have a gospel that is other than what the Bible portrays, a good news declaration that's other than what the scriptures portray. But here's what happens. In Genesis chapter 3, and this is where a lot of people want to start, but in Genesis chapter 3, we have evil, pain, and suffering introduced into God's beautiful world. God's beautiful world. Now, it feels like, and yeah, that is a killer whale. Call him Shamu. And it feels like someday, doesn't it, am I alone in this? It feels like evil, pain, and suffering is winning, doesn't it? And I can just assure you that, that what, what David's saying is, it, what's his solution to this problem? Well, surely goodness, mercy, and love follow me all the days of my life. And yet, the world that I live in has pain, sorrow, and suffering. He goes, absolutely. The psalmist never shies away from reality. This is the world that we live in. God bathed, God permeated, glory breathing world of a good God that has the presence of evil, suffering, pain, and death in it. Here's what I found in my own life it's really easy to focus on the pain and the suffering and lose sight of the goodness and the glory. See, David, he uses these two words. One is, is good, and in the Hebrew, it would literally mean to be beautiful, to be morally excellent, or to be right. As if to say that this good God who follows him like a shadow every single day of his life has never said, oops, has never said, I wish I would have. If I would have had more information, then I would have done this instead. He's never done that. And David says, he is present with me at all times and in every single season. In fact, he says in Psalm chapter 34, the same David, same David who has a son who dies, um, is a part of um, murder, who has a family that has incest and division. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I love the way that Dallas Willard puts it when he says this. He says to, to his, to, to Jesus' eyes, this is a God-bathed, God-permeated world. That's great language, isn't it? God-bathed. It is a world filled with a glorious reality where every component within the range of God's is within the range of God's direct knowledge and control though he obviously permits some of it here we go look up he obviously permits some of it for good reason to be for a while otherwise than he wishes this is my father's world 
Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, he is the ruler yet. Well, David goes on. It's not just goodness and beauty and moral excellence that follow him. He goes, it's also mercy. In the, in the Hebrew, it's this word chesed. Uh, I'd invite you to say it with me. Clear, just clear your throat and add ed. Um, chesed. Chesed. It's this rich, you can't plumb the depths of this word in, in the Hebrew. It's just this rich, beautiful, two-sided word. On one side of it is a declaration of covenantal faithfulness. So David's saying every single day, even when I've tried to hold you at arm's distance, you were holding on to me. Your covenantal faithfulness won. And on the other side of that coin, it's this freely by grace given invitation to relationship. So you have this picture. God, you're, you're following me in all of your goodness and all of your grace. I'm in a covenantal relationship with you in your world that's permeated with your presence and your goodness. I love the way that the scholar Kenneth Bailey puts it when he says this. David seems to be affirming that he lives his life with all of its fears and dangers, with the awareness that God, or with awareness that following behind him is a God who both supports him out of covenantal faithfulness and at the same time extends grace or loving kindness to him that he does not deserve. Now, look up at me for just a moment. This is an optimistic view of the world, is it not? I've been wrestling with that this week. I really have, because here's what, I don't see Christians described as, man, those followers of Jesus, they're like really optimistic people. I don't know if you've heard it, um, let me know afterwards because I would love to be wrong in this. But I have not, that's not what I hear. I hear a lot of gloom and doom and I hear a lot of the world is just <whistles> But I don't hear surely goodness and mercy follow me every day of my life. And I dwell in his house. I live in the house of the Lord. This is his world. His glory fills every single nook and cranny. There is not a place you can go on the globe where my God does not dwell and his glory cannot be seen. I just don't hear it. I wonder what it would look like to reawaken. And I'm not saying put your head in the sand and ignore all of the things that are going on in the world. When you look up the uh, look at the newspaper, um, so for anybody younger than 20, that's a paper that's delivered to your um, driveway in the morning. Okay, your app, your app. When you open your app and swipe to the morning news, I'm not asking you to ignore what you see. I'm not. I'm not asking you to put your head in the sand and completely detach from the reality of the world that we live in. David doesn't do that. God doesn't invite you to do that. I'm not doing it either. I simply want to say that alongside of the evil and pain and suffering and death comes goodness and mercy, and it's present also every single day of your life. What would it look like for followers of Jesus 
to instead of trying to be evacuators of the world. Like, so sometimes this is our hope, isn't it? Okay, God's going to take me out of here. What would it look like to, instead of trying to be evacuators of God's glory-permeated, God-bathed world, if we were excavators of the good instead of evacuators of the planet? What would it look like if followers of Jesus were known for being absolutely optimistic? Not ignorantly optimistic, but informed optimistic. Like we knew what was going on around the planet. For example, in case you want to journey into this with me, just a few stats to throw out to you. Over the last 30 years from uh, this isn't the last 30, but 30-year period from 1981 to 2011, extreme poverty in the world fell from 53% to 17%. You think Jesus is stoked about that? I think he is. I think he is. Um, hunger is on the decline. From 2000 to 2012, child labor decreased by one-third. Now, that's still not good enough. But it's progress, and as followers of Jesus, we can, if we're excavators of the good, that's good. I think none of us is going, more child, uh, forced child labor. No, that's good. That's good. Life expectancy across the globe is on the rise. Child mortality is way, way, way down. Some argue in a Wall Street Journal article um, that was recently published that war on a global scale is actually on the decline. Literacy is rising. And, and here's what you're, here's what you're, you're going, you're, I know you're going, yeah, but. Absolutely there's a yeah, but. But there's also a, yeah. Um, we went on vacation uh, a few weeks ago. And if you were to ask my daughter, how is vacation? You, you, some of you did this. Here's what she'll say. I threw up. I threw up. That's what she'll tell you. And, and uh, wow, she did. I mean, we were right outside of Green River, 1 a.m., Green River, Utah, 1 a.m., on our way home, and the smell in the car kept my wife and I up the entire time. No dozing off. Praise be to God, right? So how was the vacation, Avery? I threw up. True. She also... Went camping with grandma and grandpa, went fishing, went to the beach, two beautiful, breathtaking days at the beach. Went to Legoland, swam in, I think I counted six different pools. Went to the safari park, ate In-N-Out Burger two times to the glory of God, and had a carne asada burrito that made heaven visible. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> but, 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 if you ask her, she'll tell you, I threw up. So both are true, right? The question is not, will we see evil or will we see good? My hope is we see them both. But my hope also is that we pitch our tent, that we set up shop in the good and are the type of people that are able to point it out to the world around us. My God is at work. My God is at work. His glory is on display. Yeah, it's common grace. It's so common. It's the world that we live in, the water we swim in. It's the air we breathe. And some of us have gotten so used to it because it's a world that we live in every single day that we no longer see it. 
And you see, here's the thing, here's the thing. If you're able to see the good, your life will be marked by gratitude. If you're able to see the good, your life will be marked by gratitude. I would say the same thing is true for Hesed, this mercy, loving kindness, this God who says, I'm holding on to you even when you lose hold of me. Covenantal relationship, God. That is it. He goes, when you, when you hold on to that, worship becomes the song of your soul. His grace, his loving kindness, his steadfastness, his mercy, all tied up in this word. And David says, it's with me every single day of my life. So we can choose to see our failures or we can choose to see his grace. We can choose to dwell on our pain and our past or we can choose to move forward trusting his goodness and mercy follows us into the future. And you see lives that understand, eyes that see and hearts that step into this has said relationship with God, with Jesus the Christ, those lives are marked by worship. Eyes that see his goodness, those lives are marked by gratitude. People that understand has said mercy. Their lives are marked by worship. And David goes on, and he lands the plane of this 3,000-year-old poem by declaring this. Surely goodness, mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's what he's saying. Because the good shepherd is my shepherd. That's what David said. Because the good shepherd is my shepherd, I don't need to spend one moment out of his chesed, out of his goodness, out of his beauty, because the good shepherd is my shepherd. Every day I live here, and every day I live throughout all of eternity will be lived with a recognition of and a world that's permeated with his glory and with his goodness, with his beauty, his majesty. That is David's hope. Not only does God pre God's presence shape his experience daily, but he would say that God's provision seals his destiny eternally. It's good. God's goodness, God's work, Jesus' work on the cross on your behalf and mine. Because here's the deal. The enemy, it says in John chapter 10, talking about the good shepherd, there's, there's an enemy, Shamu, and, and I'm just kidding. The, the enemy's name in the scripture is Satan. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But the scriptures definitively declare that God in his goodness sent Jesus that you and I might have life and might have it abundantly. That life starts today, right now, when we come under the care of the good shepherd. But in eternity, here's what it looks like. Amen. Where the enemy's defeated... And all that's left is 
mercy. And all that's left is chesed. And all that's left is goodness. Where one day the veil will be raised and this incognito everywhere God, you'll see him everywhere. Face to face, his glory will shine. That is the hope of the new heaven and the new earth. God with his people in a way where we can interact with him, see him that's different than that. We live in his presence now. But our hope is that as we dwell in his goodness and his mercy every single day of our life, that his presence then in the new heaven and the new earth will be just a little bit different. Amen? Amen. Wipe every tear from your eye. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more pain. See, this, the hope of followers of Jesus is, yeah, absolutely, the wages of sin is death. We, we turned our back on this good God, this glory-permeated world. We said, I think we can do better ourselves. And in doing fractured our relationship with him. We, we can't even see it some of the time. But the scriptures declare that the, while the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And David echoes that. I don't know how much he knows he's echoing the Messiah's sacrifice that's going to come, but he echoes it. And he invites us to imagine a world where the enemy is definitively defeated and we live only in this goodness and mercy that we were designed to live in. Listen to the way that the Apostle Paul writes this. And I'm gonna summarize this and and we're gonna close. But he says, in light of a world that has evil in it. He says, so we don't lose heart. That's easy, isn't it? That's easy. You just open up the paper, turn on the news, look at your own family probably. We don't lose heart. Why? He says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for these light momentary afflictions is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all of comparison. He goes, yeah, there's evil. Yeah, there's pain. But all of that is preparing me, is widening me, broadening me, expanding me that I might step into meeting Jesus face to face and receiving his glory in all of its beauty and all of its weight and all of its magnificence. Because we don't lose heart. We look at what's going on. No, we don't lose heart. We keep in mind goodness and chesed. It's following us. It's present. And we remember that even the tough things, the afflictions, they add to this glory that's going to be revealed. He says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Surely, goodness and hesed and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. Look up at me. They're following you. They're following you. Do you have eyes to see? Do you have a heart that understands all the days of my life, and I shall dwell, God, in your house, under your care, under your provision, under your goodness, under your blessing and your favor. I shall dwell in that house forever. And see, when the good shepherd is your shepherd, you are never outside of his care, ever. 
When the good shepherd is your shepherd, you are never outside of his care. We'll close with this. When I and you and we are able to see God's activity in the world, convinced, it changes the world that we see. When we're able to see, God, this is your world, this is my Father's world, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, you are the ruler yet. When I see it, when I embrace it, when I step into it and under it, it changes the world that we see. I mean, I long for a day, for a time, when followers of Jesus are known for being informed optimists. Not people who long to escape, but who long to excavate. God, you're here. God, you're present. Let me, let, let me draw out how. I think that's the new evangelist. Let me, let me show you the way that God is already present and already at work. That's a gospel that starts in Genesis 1, not Genesis 3. God, you're at work. This is your world. This is your beauty. It's on display. Give us eyes to see, not just the bad. That's easy to camp. Anybody can camp in the bad. I threw up on vacation. <laughs> but here, catch me on this, friend. It takes intentionality to see the good. And when you have an awareness of God's glory, it breathes hope into your soul. This is our Father's world. <laughs> Luckily for us, it's the world he invites us to live in. May we become aware in a way that would shape who we become. Let's pray. So Jesus... Um, I want, I want to pray specifically for the person who maybe over the last few weeks has heard about your, the way that you satisfy, has heard about the way that you lead to green pastures, to quiet streams, has heard about the way that you bring your sheep back when they wander away, you restore our soul, for the people who've heard that you walk with us in the valley of the shadow of death, you don't leave us, you're there to, to be present, to correct and to protect us in the midst of all the storms of life. For, for the person that watched as we taught about the fact that you feed us the gospel feast in the presence of our enemies, the way you anoint your people with spirit and life, And your design, Jesus, that your presence would shape our daily experience and your provision on the cross, your body given, your blood shed, would seal our eternal destiny. Lord, if there's those that aren't a part of your fold tonight, today, God, would you prick their heart? Would you draw them to you, the good shepherd? Lord, I pray that you would redeem some this morning. And so... If that's you if, you, if you're here in this picture of what God is like and you just want to run to him, I, I invite you to do so this morning.
Jesus, good shepherd, we love you. We step under your rule and your reign. We trust even when we cannot see that goodness and mercy follow us. And Jesus, we also, our anchor is sunk into the reality that what you did on the cross sealed our eternal destiny. And that we can dwell in your house of goodness and mercy all of the days of our life. Jesus, may your goodness stir us to gratitude. May your mercy stir us to worship. And may the fact that you dwell in every single corner of your great globe shape the way that we go about walking in your world. And it is yours. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Do you stand with me as we... This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.